A global pandemic forced us to close the labs and pause experiments. But for our lab, science has always been about building community. So today, we're chatting with fellow researchers about their experiences in lockdown. I'm Andrew Pelling, and you're listening to Quarantimes. We are podcasting from the Great White North, at least relative to the United States, and this is Quarantimes. Today we have our new friendly American postdoc and treasure hunter, Will Collins. Oh, thanks for having me on. So Will, you're new to the lab. How has it been working with us weird plant fanatics so far? Yeah, so I'm a recent addition from Boston and um, I uh, was kind of brought on for a lot of the tissue engineering applications. Um, and so as it stands now, I'm one of two members that can still kind of get into the lab. Um, and still run some bioprints. So I've still been trying to kind of keep up the momentum on those sort of things. Yeah, and with what little access you do have, what project are you working on right now? So we're looking into formulation of bioinks using plant material and plant cells. Um, So we kind of envision the project evolving, going from plant material to eventually integrate it with mammalian um, or potentially even stem cells in the near future. Um, So as it stands now, we're in the formulation stages and we're kind of integrating the CAD modeling and um, cells and uh, ink formulation. So this is in conjunction with the plant cell line that Zeb and Andrew were able to save. And were you worried in saving it as well? I mean, I would certainly say Zeba did more work than I did. Um, and she's been running and holding the ball for a long time now. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the thing about some of these experiments is, you know, depending on what you're working with, what kind of materials, you know, an experiment could cost you a hundred thousand dollars, um, or more. Uh, so, you know, it's important to have context to the whole starting up again, um, because it's not always a trivial thing. Yeah. They've definitely had to be inventive to keep up with whatever resources we still have. So have you had to also do any DIY bio stuff for this project? So I have a few uh, Arduino boards here. So I've been trying to look into some of the automation means of maintaining culture. Um, so that's something that's been kind of like a ongoing way to kind of monitor from afar. Um, I am of the persuasion that uh, the more automated a lot of these tasks are, uh, the better off we'll be. Um, so that's like a home thing I'm working on. Um, and periodically, uh, I am going into lab and trying new formulations, uh, for inks. So that's kind of been, there's been a lot of reading on the back end of that. These bio inks that you speak of, they sound like they're coming out straight from a sci-fi film. So what exactly are they being used for? Uh, take, uh, take something like applesauce. Uh, you know, there's a, there's actually a lot of complex things that go into that formulation in terms of uh, bulking agents, binders, um, things that, that are kind of passive preservatives. Um, so, 
you know, the, the ink itself can really just be like a structural component, but then maintaining that for a long-term culture requires more in-depth thinking regarding how the cells might survive and propagate within that ink. Okay, I see. So it's this formulation of cells and other components that come out of a 3D printer to somehow produce this engineered living structure. Yeah, right. And then if you wanted to go to another complexity level beyond that, um, you might even incorporate a handful of extracellular matrix components to get uh, cells to migrate in a certain direction or to kind of steer their cell lineage. Mm -hmm. And you know, I work with my mouse muscle cells and they're pretty easy to kill if you're not careful. So I'm wondering when you put these cells into a 3D printer, are they easy or hard to keep alive at that point? You know, um, thankfully the cells we're working with now are fairly robust. Um, so I've been able to beat up on them routinely. Um, you know, other cell lines we're not going to have such an easy time with. Okay, well, I hope the bioink research goes well. Otherwise, have you been enjoying the Canadian lab experience as opposed to your American one? Yeah, you guys are super chill. Super chill. Um, to the extent that I was like a little taken aback uh, at far at the, at the outset. Um, I, I'm of the philosophy that, you know, there's two schools of thought. You have your collaborative or your competitive. And, you know, those, you know, either one of those ends of those spectrum can be you know, not particularly beneficial. Um, but so ideally one wants to be somewhere in the in-between. I'm so happy you feel that way because I definitely think of our lab as super wholesome and a lot of the bio labs at Uwata are just as collaborative and friendly. And to be honest, I would hate to be in a super competitive environment. You know, uh, the being in a more collaborative environment that is knowledgeable about how to take resources and even like excess resources from, you know, wealthier capitals, uh, you know, finding and utilizing them towards a purpose. Those are the individuals that are going to survive longer. And those are the communities that are going to thrive. Definitely. And I know you're someone who partakes in this biohacking world. So how long have you been interested in this concept of like thriving off of old treasures? Yeah. So another thing I'll underscore is I have like a profound hatred of waste of resources because I just, you know, these things don't grow on trees. Um, so, so my wife's from MIT and we were, you know, passing through the area in, in Kendall Square and there was like, like what looked to be like an old computer that like a bunch of students were like picking the parts off of. And that moment I was like, God bless America. <laughs> like, you know, here we are like scavenging what we can and making use of it again. Uh, taking, taking what you're given and not kind of expunging all of your um, resources, I think is very important. I think so too. I like to call this treasure hunting. So have you been doing any of that during the quarantine to keep yourself busy? Um, so I, I've been doing that in Quebec, actually, um, but I, I have found some like really phenomenal stuff that uh, I, I also appreciate um, you're using the phrase treasure hunters as opposed to scavengers. Uh, I, I just it's very um, progressive. 
progressive. Uh, but no, I, I mean, like, um, I've also been making an absolute killing on uh, aluminum frame bicycles. So um, it's one of those kind of things that uh, I haven't gone to the extent of converting it into some kind of like charging device. But um, yeah, there there's just such excess of material that can be crafted into something else. There is a brilliant homeless man in the Quebec border that has rigged himself up a entire solar cell circuit um, where, yeah, he, um, he has like three or four solar panels, which I can only assume he's got rigged to some UPS batteries, but, you know, a little bit of finagling and it just improves your sustainability substantially. Okay, so this man made solar panels and I'm struggling to get out of bed every day during this pandemic. But honestly, it's so cool. And Andrew has a similar hobby where he says he looks through people's garbage and repurposes it all. So good on you guys. Yeah, there, there's just such excess of material that can be crafted into something else. Um, and, and truth be told, like, uh, I, I came to find that there was just so much excess equipment around Boston because we get this influx of... Um, like biotech investments that then like, you know, they don't quite make their numbers and they crash and burn. And then, you know, the, the equipment is bought back for pennies on the dollar. So it just, you know, the prospect of buying all new depreciating assets, you know, like a brand new car, the moment you drive it off the lot, probably loses 20% of its value, if not more. So, I mean, you could say the same for a lot of other things. Um, I mean, it just, it doesn't grow on trees, you know, you know, my dad, he sells classic cars and by nature, of course, they're all used. And he always told me, don't ever buy a new car from the dealership because it's exactly what you said, that things depreciate so quickly. Anyway, speaking of Boston, while living in the States, have you ever had an experience that was anything close to what we have right now with the isolation? Um, So I was in one of the unique positions where I had been around during the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, and so we essentially had a uh, close to three, four day shutdown where you were strongly advised to stay indoors. Um, it was more than a little spooky how quickly they caught the Sarnayev brothers. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, this is one of those things that there's this like impending sense of doom, uh, that I've kind of been subconsciously aware of, though at the same time, um, I've never gotten such an adrenaline rush from going to the grocery store uh, as I did. Um, I think it was like one of the Fridays before the notification of shutdown where, um, you know, you, you suddenly start going into this mentality of do I have enough to survive and for how long? Right. And no matter if you've experienced that before or not, it's always a scary thing. Other than that, were there any issues being in Canada for you right now that the borders are closed? There was a window of time in which I moved here and it could have happened that, you know, the hammer came down and I couldn't get work papers, a place to live, security numbers, bank accounts. So, uh, you know, it's definitely made me think more about the relative instability of, you know, bureaucratic institutions, but then also like banking and financial institutions that, you know, within the matter of, say, a week or two weeks, 
had I not accomplished getting things done in short order, I would be in a much worse position than I am now. Um, in other news, I, I mean, there's a, I, I, from speaking with my neighbors and such, I, I get the sense that there's this kind of prevailing fear of the circus of U.S. politics right now. Um, and, you know, even myself, uh, uh, there's aspects of it that make me genuinely nervous where a protest with an AR-15 is not a protest. Uh, and that's something that's a little better understood up here than certain other places. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how all that shakes out. With all that chaos and your current president, how do you feel about how he's dealing with the COVID situation? How do I feel about that? Uh, uh, you know, I, I think there's almost like this, like, so we have, we have an individual that is exceptionally good at bending public opinion, but you know, there's, there's a hard reality of this has a kill rate of X, Y, Z, and that's just the reality you either, you know, you, you can't, you can't apply spin doctoring to something that's a hard hit reality. Um, so, you know, no amount of PR representatives would be sufficient to spin this into a acceptable level of death. Um, in, in, in regards to injecting bleach, I uh, can't say I recommend it. Yeah, um, I hear you're better off washing your hands, so I wouldn't recommend it either. While we're on the topic of poor science communication, how do you feel about the funding cuts to science within the U.S.? Yeah, the system as it as it stands now, I mean, you know, I was around during NIH funding cutbacks. Um, and, you know, one can't cut the medical institutions to the bone and then expect them to be there when you've already dispersed them. Right. And although in a way, a lot of the time, the projects that do get funded are a slam dunk, that's not necessarily the way to do like fundamental science. And, you know, fundamental science is where a lot of the truly innovative things come out. Exactly. Like Apple implants and bioinks. Um, as of recently, we don't have the opportunity to speak to a lot of people about these kinds of things. So thank you for getting my gears rolling on this stuff. Gears. <laughs> I'm all about the gears. Um, exciting stuff. Well, thanks for being an informational and topical guest, Will. No, this has been educational. Uh, I'm glad to do this and uh, hope to see more of it. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. If you want to get your gears rolling, find some stuff laying around that you can repurpose. Not only will it satisfy your boredom, but you may also learn a thing or two. That's our show for today, and we are halfway through our limited series. Stay tuned for new episodes on the rest of our lab members' lives with a special episode finale featuring our favorite mad scientist, Dr. Pelling. I'm Nikki McGillivray, and catch you next time on Quarantimes.